just like to let the, the saxophone player get out of the room before I say welcome to the Friday Night Review and it's great to have you with us. My name is Albert Bogle and it's great that we've got a good team with us tonight who are going to be sharing with us. A, a special welcome to Julie Barr who's with us tonight who's been our Writer of the Week. Hey! Hey! hey. And uh, then also uh, great to see Linda Pollock back with us again. You, you, you were with us just a few weeks back and thank you for joining us tonight again, Linda. Pleasure to be here. And uh, my old sparring partner and mate, uh, not, so much, not so old, not as old as I am, but uh, uh, Ian Jimison, and he's not got his silk pyjamas on tonight at all, but he's with us again. <laughs> I was trying to keep the silk pyjamas just on the down low there, Albert. You had to bring it up. <laughs> Do you know, Ian, I, I was actually having a look and I discovered that I've got a pair of the silk pyjamas as well. I, I, I kept Stoom the last time. I did buy a suit as well, but I didn't wear it. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a silk suit when we were in Singapore. Yeah, um, good. And it, but it was navy blue. It wasn't black. <laughs> you bought the Undertaker's one and then with the wee white you looked like a minister. Th that says a lot about our respective characters, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, welcome to the, the podcast tonight. And uh, we're going to be thinking about our theme, which we're coming to the end of this theme, which is Reconciled by Grace. And we want to be talking a lot about grace tonight and reconciliation and what that means within our families and how we can be the reconcilers. And we're going to be talking more about that and reflecting more about that to tonight. But uh, let's get a wee start off. We've not got Laura with us tonight. She's on holiday. But uh, I'm going to start with Linda because she can always blather. And uh, give us a wee picture, Linda, of what kind of week have you had? Yeah, I've had a really interesting week. Um, nine weeks ago, I ordered new glasses with Vision Express. And the glasses still haven't turned up. They've lost the, the prescription three times. Uh, so I went in, they, they, he texted me this week to say, your glasses are ready. So I went in and uh, they handed me a pair of sunglasses and I said, oh, no. ones. And they, oh, oh, whatever ones, whatever ones. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake, if you don't have them by Wednesday, I'm going to ask for money back and just take my prescription. The Wednesday came and they didn't have them in. So they phoned me and said, look, we'll give you a 50 quid discount. The glasses are going to be made. So that was okay. I thought, well, if they're not in by Monday, then I'll, I'll not take the discount, um, but I'll, I'll not take your glasses either. And then yesterday, I switched on the hot water and I, I smelled burning the day before. And I thought, oh, what, what's that? Well, about an hour later, there was still no hot water. So I went into the wee water tank room and I discovered that the some, some element in it anyway, an electric thing had burnt out. I don't know... I had visions of a 10-story, this big 10-story block of flats going up in flames because a wee fire happened in my utility room. So it's been kind of a dodgy week. So no hot water apart from a, a kettle in the sink. And I might have some tomorrow or I might have to wait till Tuesday. My fingers are crossed that I can get water tomorrow because I really don't want to have to go and have bird baths every day. Oh, well, gosh. What, what's your week been like, Ian? Oh my goodness! Um, what a week I've had. I, I had. I. Anybody who knows me will tell you this has been the week from hell. It has absolutely been the week from hell. Um, there have been any number of things go wrong this week, and lots of things that required my attention, and that's fine. That's what I'm here to do. Um, but just lots of traumatic stuff and difficult stuff, and and. Um, you know where the the road, um, you know where the tire meets the road, uh, and you know in terms of the rules surrounding COVID and how it's practically to be delivered. Um, in terms of the things that certainly my speciality, primary care, um, has to contend with. So this week, the beginning of the week started with, um, the knowledge that the news that, uh, some of our 
healthcare people that work within the practice might not be able to vaccinate, um, thereby cutting our ability to do so by 50% in the biggest mass vaccination campaign there has ever been in my generation. Um, we were also given in no uncertain terms the rules surrounding testing if you develop symptoms or if one of your children develops symptoms. But of course, right now is the time where children go back to school and of course they will pick up simple respiratory viruses like everybody else's children. <coughs> abilities for rapid testing um, are not quite let's say they're not quite as developed as they should be, uh, leading to many, many members of staff being off work at the same time because they're following the rules um, and doctors working from home um, who might otherwise be in the practice. And if this is to continue, and I don't think it will because we're a resilient and clever country and we have really good leaders um, who I think can see exactly what I've said, where the rubber hits the road. Um, this is the time to throw out some of the old tropes and the old rule books um, because we can't do both. We simply can't. There aren't enough. You can't knit GPs. You can't knit practice nurses um, or healthcare practitioners or people to actually deliver the vaccine campaign that you've promised whilst at the same time expecting them to self-isolate in the way that you've described without rapid testing. And by rapid, I mean we want it back within the next day or indeed that evening. Um, and that's what we have to shoot for as a nation. And it's an aspiration, I know that, but um, I kind of call it as I see it. So that was the first trauma. Uh, and the second trauma was something quite personal, which I won't bring to the fore because I think the people involved wouldn't be happy with me doing that. But let's just say it was a another symptom of the underlying stress that is COVID um, that kind of rather blew up. And, and uh, you know, we had to have a long talk about that. But what was really interesting about my week this week was how much it harmonised almost on a day-by-day -day basis with what I was reading on Sanctuary First and with what the prayers were. For the first time in, in, in maybe a few, a few weeks, um, maybe not even as long as that, but I just find myself resonating as sometimes as sometimes happen um, with the messages that Julie had been had been promulgating this week. So I found, and, and I apologise to Julie because because my week was so horrific, I didn't have time to comment and I'd love to have commented. I'd love to have told you just how much each day meant to me. I'd love to have told you that I really needed to hear that message about, um, you know, a word can, can be really dangerous and can really cause a lot of harm and the way that we speak to people can cause a lot of harm. I would love to have told you at the time just how much that meant to me in that day but i can just tell you now it meant an actual an awful lot it really helped me at the end of the day um so i was just going to throw that out there and say that this week if anybody wanted to look into it and wanted to know what my week was like you just have to look at the work that julie did to understand exactly what my week was like on an almost day-by-day -day basis so julie Thanks for joining us and thank you so much for all all that you've done this week, all that you've given us, all that you've given us to think about and remind us about. Um, and I really hope we get a chance this week to actually really look at these things and, and mm. talk about these things. So uh, thanks, Julie. Thank you. Well, you go. Thank you for the comments. Yeah, Julie, what kind of week have you had? I've actually had quite a pleasant week because it's been not so nice weather-wise. I've been more in the house than I'm out. So I spent a lot of time in the kitchen, sort of doing bulk cooking and bulk batch baking of bread and that kind of thing. And then midweek, it was my nephew's birthday. So we had a very pleasant <clears> evening celebrating his birthday. And um, so made me feel really old because he's 29. So that puts <laughs> me in perspective. But no, so it's been a nice week all round. So, you, well, you and Linda have a lot in common because Linda's a real good cook as well. She enjoys baking and cooking. So what were you, what were you cooking? What was your, any, any good recipes? Um, I was trying out some new recipe, new bean recipes. Uh, I made a, a bean stew, a sort of spicy bean stew, but I made a batch of that. And I did a, a buttered bean um, chowder, a batch oh. of that. 
Oh, and I like that. I like butter beans. Bean burgers and salmon burgers. So say I did a, a batch of things and then put them all. I've got a big chest freezer, so they all went out in the freezer. Uh, and then today I spent most of the day baking and making a big batch of chutney. So when it's wet weather, I tend to be in the kitchen. When it's nice weather, I'm either out in the garden or out for a wander. But well, well, listen, Julie, my apples are just about ripe. In fact, they are ripe. They're ready for picking. So if you want to come over and get some uh, apples for your apple chutney and things like that, this is the place to come. Thank you, Albert. But I've actually got a really kind friend who brings me, she's got a massive amount of trees, and she very generously pops in with them as well. Oh, so as yeah. I say, that's why I've got a big batch of apple chutney. That's the first batch on the way. Uh, and I'm sure Derek will get an apple crumble somewhere along the line as well. Well, Linda, I've got apples for you if you want them. I'm sure. I'll, I'll take, them, take them and get me Applejack Ewan to make some cider. I was going to say that's the very reason he won't offer them to me. <laughs> well, Applejack Ewan's not <laughs> Julie, I like eating if that's any help to you at all. <laughs> you know, see, when this lockdown finishes, we're going to have to have a ginormous, ginormous party. And everybody's so. going to have to bring food, and, and we're just going to have to love each other and take care of each other and celebrate that lockdown's no more. Mm. I know, that would be what a great, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Yeah, have a big sanctuary first, Kayleigh. That would be fantastic. Wouldn't yeah. That? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's the biggest venue we could have it in? Um, you could you could get the whole of the you know, one of the massive halls in Edinburgh. I don't so think the Usher Hall a possibility. Is, is that the one that is like, like the really, really big one? There's, there's one of, do you know, there's one of these halls they have the Hogmanay show. The Edinburgh, the Edinburgh <laughs> International <laughs> Conference Centre in Edinburgh. Remember, we we took it over for the Church Without Walls conference in 2005. Linda, you were involved in that, were you not, with me? I was, yeah. Yeah. And do you know, there was over 3,000 people at that event at one point in the, in the hall. And... They had to close the doors because they said they couldn't take any more for health and safety. Wow. And we, we opened that, that, that ran for two days and we opened it, I think it was two days we ran it. And um, it was running from, I think, 10 in the morning to 12 at night. Remember with a Kaylee at the end and all that kind of stuff, it was good. I, I don't know if it was that one I was at. I was at one at Ingliston. Ingliston. And Ingliston was a 2008 one in Ingliston. That's the one I was at. Right. I, that's the place I was thinking of because there was a big concert with Stuart Townend and a massive big warehouse. We had 10,000 10, people at that. 10,000 people at that from Church Without Walls. I mean, John Santamu. Do you know an interesting yeah. story about John Santamu, the yeah. Bishop of New York? He, he had a as you know, had been a refugee and mm -hmm. had been a, a prisoner of conscience with the, uh, Idi Amin. Yes. And when he came to the UK, um, he came with virtually nothing as a refugee. But he, he, was speak, he was speaking at the conference and with different people speaking in tents and all around the place. And <coughs> he was coming out of one of the tents having been at a meeting and... I, and he, all of a sudden, he ended up putting his arms around this old couple and giving him a big hug. And it turned out that this couple had been missionaries who had been a great influence in his life as a wee boy. And there were these Scottish missionaries that, that were there. And he, I think it was, it was a great experience for him. That's lovely. You know. That's great. Um, and just the... That, that's the kind of thing we're talking about family that's in the church family that's wider than, than, than DNA or anything that goes with that. It's that belonging that we have in Christ, you know, to one another. Yeah. yeah there's something about that that, that strikes me. Um, I live alone. I'm single. My family are in England and Ireland. And so for me, really, my, my family is my Christian family, you know. Um, and I, I've always felt that I'm the only Christian in our whole family circle, cousins and uncles and everything else. And so I've always felt I belong to my blood family, but I always felt also that I belong to the kingdom, you know, 
Um, and I think it's important, especially when there's single people in a congregation, to make sure that they're not sitting out on the edge all the time and they're not going home to an empty house alone all the time. Um, so important to bring them in, offer them a cup of tea, whatever. Um, and and I, I've been adopted by a, a family here um, who are just so wonderful. We Applejack Ewan's family. And mm -hmm. it's great to be able to be part of that wee family, you know. Bring, it brings me back to the uh, when I did some writing for Crossreach and uh, the, the the song for Crossreach's anthem um, and the discussions that we had uh, around the kind of finished anthem as it was to be um, and that was the whole idea of bring me in was it was the title of the song and you know bring me in and as I, I think I've said before in the podcast one of the lines of contention was I said throw your arms around me you include me in because that was what I meant as a writer to say throw your arms around me that's how I imagine um, and, and that has been my experience of the Christian family as a family who will throw your arms around you. But then at the same time, they very rightly said, but some people just feel that they want to sense arms around them. I think that's okay too. I think the world can cope with those two sides of that same coin, can't they? Um, but families, family is just so important, isn't it? And the, I think the family of the church... Um, We've referred to it many times in the podcast in many different ways about, you know, how we bring up children, uh, how we bring up people in the church and how we reach out to people in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and that was definitely one of the things I think that was um, uh, brought up this week. Um, I could honestly, I could hear myself in, in one of the one of your things, Julie, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about when you wrote it, because, you know, when you write a thing, um, you often have one situation in mind. It might be a very personal thing. It might be something that, that you don't want to share. But um, <clears throat> I've been doing this for such a long time now that I, I think I overshare online. But anyway, never mind. Um, but it was the whole thing about, uh, you know, the things that, you're, that you say, that you heard your dad say. You know? <laughs> and, and I'm guilty of that all the time. <laughs> The, fir the, the first thing that happens to me is I, I, we, we've got this toilet at work, right? And for some reason, I don't know why, they've seen fit to put a full-length mirror. Well, not a full, but a big mirror in this toilet. Why would you put a little mirror in a toilet? Why would you even do that? And it's above the wash hand basin. Presumably, it's to touch <laughs> your makeup. Um, I, I find that I get my makeup right before I go out during the day. But for those that maybe need feel the need to touch up their makeup, maybe that's what it's there for. Anyway, so there's this mirror. And as I pass by the mirror on the way to the toilet, I keep on seeing my dad in the mirror. And I'm like, what's my dad doing here? <laughs> what you what are you up to, Robert? <laughs> How do they go to the toilet here? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> but it's so true of the things that I've, I hear myself say to the boys. You know, I hear my father's voice in a lot of the things that I say. And it was my friend Robbie Cool that um, that I talk about a lot, but he, but he reminded me um of, of of a saying, I think it was by Mark Twain, he said, you know, um, when I was 18, I thought I knew everything and that my father knew absolutely nothing. But when I reached the age of 30, I, I, I was surprised at how much my old man had learned in the intervening years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we all reflect our parents to a certain extent. I mean, certainly I find myself saying things that I heard my mum and dad saying. And at the time when you were younger, you maybe thought, you know, what, what do they know? They're being old fogies. And then I look at myself and think, you are that old fogey now, you know. But they were right about what they were saying sometimes. And it was good lessons to learn. Yeah. But you don't appreciate that until you're a bit older and wiser yourself. But you know, I've often said to parents that sometimes parents don't think anybody listens to them. And they think, oh, you know, they're not listening to me. I'm only their mum or dad. But what most people don't, parents need to realise is how much young people want the approval of their parents. Mm -hmm. a great, there's a great sense in which they want to hear dad saying, well done, you've done it really well, because, it, because that's such an important thing to do. And yet, and, it, and it's dangerous when parents forget to pay the compliments to the children. 
And it never ends, Albert. This is the thing. It, it doesn't really end. It doesn't, uh, because you, I, I still get a small free song of pride of my old man who lovely man though he is with it's not the most demonstrative i mean actually bob's all right he is quite demonstrative these days but um but do you know if he says something like oh you know you did that really well son do you know what i mean it's always nice or or if i play them and it's usually if i play them some music you know i'm like what do you think about that and they're like oh that's really nice i quite like that do you know what i mean because they're the world's worst critics they'll tell you if it's crap I've heard so often they're like, well, that's just a noise. Is that not the same song as you played me last time? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is always lovely, you know. It's always a really, really nice thing. No, but I do say, you're actually, people do this idea of paying not cheap compliments that don't that are not true, but when somebody does something well to be able to say that you've done that well, that's, that's I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um, and I'm... Um, I always think that that's um, a Henry Newman in one of his. Uh, it's a great video clip if you go if you go on YouTube and type in Henry Newman, and it just the it, on, on that whole idea of you know you are my beloved child and my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Gives a tremendous sermon on that, and just talks about the aching and the longing that so many people have, just to have the affirmation of a parent. Uh, you know, and when they don't have that affirmation, they, they long for it. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. My, my father and I, we often talk. Um, uh, he, uh, he, he, he will sometimes drive the car if I've got uh, appraisals to do for other GP practices in the far reaches of Scotland. He'll drive because, you know, I've maybe been working that day. Um, and we'll we'll drive up somewhere, we'll stay in overnight somewhere, and then we're ready to go first thing in the morning, and then um, later on that day, you know, whenever things are finished. Um, so we get a chance to talk in the car on the way up quite often. And my dad said a really wise thing to me just a couple of years ago. He said, because <coughs> he lost his father when he was quite young, um, and when him and my mum were just starting out, he said, the one thing I think about when I see your boys is he said that, do you know, dads need dads. And I thought, do you know what, dad, you're absolutely right. Dads need dads. Um, and I, I think that's a, just a very true thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need grandparents. We need, and dads need dads. And mums also need mums. And, and mums have always needed mums. Um, since time immemorial, we've, we've always needed the older generation. Um, I, I love the, the mellowness of them and just that understanding that, you know, we've been there, we've done that, we've seen that, we've seen the worst that life can bring and what you're going through seems like such a storm, but really in the great scheme of life, in a few years' time, it's going to feel quite, quite different. And you, mm -hmm. can, you can only really say that if you've walked that walk. And that's really, I think, in some ways, what parenthood is all about. It's to walk that walk in front of somebody and maybe reflect some of that back. I, I, I'd be really interested in what, because it was Julie that really kind of brought that to mind, that whole thing about, you know, the... <clears throat> Julie, what, what was going through your mind when, when you know, you wrote that thing about... Uh, not just the thing about language, because obviously I'm I'm keen to know about that because that affected me quite deeply. But but also the the whole sort of idea of generational thinking. I think um, I learned so much from previous generations. I think if you really take the particularly the frogs one, if you really take the time to sit and listen to people, you know, rather than just superficially have a conversation, actually sit and properly listen. It's absolutely amazing what you learn from people's experiences of the past. And a lot of that's come back to me at the moment when, you know, you're thinking about COVID and how difficult life is and the restrictions we're living under. And it, it takes me back to speaking to my grandmother and when she was talking about living through the war and what they went through. And you think about it, we, we really are quite privileged now by comparison to what happened to them there. So all that sort of thing was in the back of my mind when I was thinking about it. And I've been very lucky to have a lot of an older generation that have been really interesting people who would take the time to spend with you 
to tell you about their lives, you know. So it kind of came back, and it, when I saw that particular passage, it, it sort of jumped immediately out about, you know, sometimes you can you can avoid the frogs of life if you've actually listened to somebody that's been there before you, mm. and knew, and you know, it's not always better. It can be, but it's not always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think whenever I was reading that as well, what came to my mind was that it's not just our 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 blood family, um, but it's important that youngsters in particular have other people in their lives that are older who they can turn to and who can listen to them and who they can share their wisdom with. Um, and and it's, it made me, my mind go also to the idea of mentoring. How in our Church of Scotland, for example, we have no mentoring, official mentoring programs, no confirmation programs. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing such a wonderful opportunity to... Uh, to offer mentoring, the whole, are you familiar with Adam Cara, the soul friend idea? I think this is something that in the Celtic faith tradition, mm -hmm. um, I think that this is something that we can embrace <clears throat> and, and use to the glory of God and, and for our good. Do you know, Linda, you're absolutely right. I was brought up in a, in a quite a unique church in Glasgow, St. Silas, where when, when I was younger, um, it was, it was an Anglican church. It was really a very low Anglican church. Uh, and it was filled with people, Irish people, and uh, mainly Irish folks, and folks from England who were low church. And uh, Africans and people from different parts of the world would come and be part of this church. And um, we learned to connect with all different kinds of people. And we also, they, when I was 15, I, got, I was made in charge of the youth club and we had about 50, 60 teenagers in the youth club and there the, the, was a, a local rock band that could come in and play for the, it was called the Argonauts and they used to play and at different times there were different programs on but I remember one particular time the club was run by, there were two elderly ladies who were in charge of the club they were the youth leader, you know, they, they were the in charge and they used to sit at the, at the back of the hall with their knitting. <laughs> they would knit. And when they were knitting, they would just keep their eye on everybody. And if anybody was going out, I think they would just, hoi, hoi, come here. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that was the kind of, there was something there about, you know, these women. They were, they were not at all... Um, they didn't. They weren't confrontational with the teenagers, but the teenagers liked them because uh, they, they understood them and they could talk about all kinds of things to them as well. Now, the other thing I learned also about about mentoring was from my dad, uh, Linda, because my dad James did it naturally. He he would look out for young people and take them under his wing, especially young men, and we'd invite them up to our house and people we were maybe people were single, mm. and 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 you know. There would always be, there'd be somebody at our home for Sunday lunch. And there was another Irish lady who used to do this, and her name was Miss Marshall. And she lived in Hindland. <clears throat> and uh, she, she was a genteel lady, a genteel lady. And she, she had a hearing aid in, and she was an Irish lady. And, but she was, uh, she was so caring for everyone. And she looked for all the young students that had come in uh, from Africa or from Ireland or from England who had no family connection there. And every Sunday she would have them up at her house mm. for tea. And then people used to say she was matchmaking. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of ministry that Miss Marshall had, nobody told her to do that. No. There wasn't a committee in the church that went and said, will you look after? Mm. Nobody told my dad to do that. James did it. And I think there are maybe some people that do things and we, they're not in official programs, but they do it just because they're that kind of person. Do you not think that's true, the case? I'm sorry, I was going to just dip in and say I am shocked that the Church of Scotland, you know, as the forward thinking, so forgive me for jumping in, just to, I'm shocked that the Church of Scotland as a forward thinking organisation um, as it as it's emerging to be and with Sanctuary First you can see those green shoots 
Um, I'm shocked there isn't a mentoring program, a formal mentoring program, because we know that in psychology, psychologists have psychologists who look after their mental health. We know that in mental health practitioners, they have MHPs who are mentor MHPs for them. We, it's the same in physiotherapy, and I believe it's the same in general. And actually, I know it's the same in general practice. We have a, a group called the first five, the first five years that you qualify as a GP. Um, you, you'll sometimes attach yourself, it generally happens naturally. In a practice, you will find that the senior partner takes the younger partners as much as they can without, you know, being patronising uh, to an extent under their wing and give them the benefit of their experience. And I wouldn't be the GP that I am now were it not for Lindsay Park and Satish Sharma, my old partners. You know, they gave me the head to do what I wanted to do, and they were amazing people. Well, I mean, ministers do go, young ministers do get attached to do probationary periods. That's, that's been introduced the past few years. And then also, the, the whole mentoring with, with the, the new uh, past five or six years, maybe it's longer now, but they've also introduced uh, some kind of uh, mentoring, but they, uh, they don't use the word mentoring, uh, support network for, for ministers already in ministry. But I'm talking about for our kids. Yeah, I know you're talking about for kids and for teenagers, and you're talking about for people, just young people growing up and developing. Yeah, you know. I, think, I mean, what you were talking about there was ho the hospitality you're talking about there, Albert, with Miss Marshall and your father. I, I use hospitality as a working word for incarnation, because to me, the incarnation is all about hospitality, how God entrusted his beloved to us, to love and nurture and take care of. And then we are entrusted with Christ and his message to share to the world and to, to love and take care of and nurture those who come our way. And, and we use this fancy theological term incarnation, but the bottom line is it's just hospitality. It's taking care of someone, uh -huh. you know? And I, I mean, James, my dad was an amazing character for this. I mean, <laughs> I remember the policeman in the beat at St. George's Cross where we were brought up. James knew the policeman. He would talk to the young policeman and say, hi, you know, son, you know, listen, uh -huh. son, if ever you're passing by, just come uh -huh. in and get a cup of tea. Uh -huh. you know, come pop in. And then you get to know them. And he then bring it. And we had, we had at least a couple of policemen, young policemen, that started, were up north and had no family. And they started to come to the church because James had welcomed them. Do you not find that some people have just got that skill? Uh -huh. My mum my was like that. She was the same. She, she would talk to anybody and she'd make sure that everybody felt welcome and go and chat to them. And, you know, and on a Sunday morning, the church used to bounce around all over the place. And you need people like that. I have to say, I don't have that skill. I'm, I'm more of a, a quiet introvert. But I saw her in action and there's people like her, like your dad. We just know how to do it. You know, uh -huh. that's that talent. <clears throat> I know. And that's a gift. And that's back to the, the gifts we we're talking about last week in the service about the gifts of the spirit, that the gifts were given gifts. Not everybody has the same gifts, but all the gifts are there in order that we might all, all flourish and, and, and grow. And I reckon, Julie, if if somebody was needing a cake to share for afternoon tea with some with some guests or friends or new stra new strangers you would become friends, you'd be able to give them a cake. So your gifts would be used in this whole incarnational uh, oh, theology, this whole And it comes to food, I'd be your woman. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing about God, isn't it? Um, there's nothing miserly about God and God provides for all of us and gives us gifts that we can use and celebrate. They're all different, it's mm -hmm. great. No. I think that's lovely. There's nothing miserly about God. There's nothing miserly about anything about God. No. You know, you can't, you, you can't out God God's goodness. Right. <laughs> you, you can't out good his goodness, you know, or his generosity or his grace or his love. Yeah. You know, it's, it, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. And what, when we start, and then that takes us into this whole area of grace and being reconciled in families and giving people but sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? When we talk about this, but 
in families, sometimes people get hurt deeply by family members that make it just so difficult for them to to reach out and be reconciled again. I mean, generally, the thing is that we feel we have this illusion that somehow we can mind read what is in somebody else's heart, somebody else's mind, you know, it's a human failing. Um, and it, but it's in our DNA uh, because we, as animals, we need to be able to anticipate the worst thing that will happen. It's genetic, it's biological, uh, we can't change it. Um, that in, that's inherently in us. Um, and we, you know, we try and, but, but we form these illusions that we can somehow read what's in somebody else's mind, or we might say it in Christian parlance, we might discern what's in somebody else's heart. Sometimes I think that if God's in there, if the Holy Spirit's in there, that might well be the case. Might well be the case. God may well give you the right words to say or the right thoughts to express at the time. And I think that's why, certainly to me, I think that's one of the things that is the kind of mysteries around grace. Um, you know, is that some people are given that grace at the right time and the right place um, to to speak to speak the truth and 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 to help people heal. But other times and in family situations, quite often there are other dynamics happening. There are things we don't see, and and one of the things I'm always saying to GP trainees is, look. Um, you may have had a very bad interaction with this patient, but what are you not seeing? What do you not know? And then we kind of go through all the kind of questions that they asked, and I'm like, but you've actually, you don't actually know anything about this person. You don't know anything about their past. You don't know what they brought to the table. All you know is what they came in with that day and what you're seeing right in front of you, right in front of you. So I often say is ask yourself, is what I'm seeing really what I'm seeing? Or is, there, or is there something else? And I think that needs to happen in families too. And, you know, every family's the same. And it's the same. That, that, yeah. Julie was talking about that in, you know, I, I can't your granny. I, you know, and it, it's, it's assuming that you know more about a person than you really do know. Yeah. You know. I you, remember you know. when I started secondary school, I was... I'm, I'm the only one in our family who didn't have a curfew because I would be at the church. <laughs> I wouldn't be out in the streets or doing crazy things. And I remember going into secondary school and the teachers, a couple of the teachers said to me, oh, are you, are you Martin's sister? And I'm like, yeah. And he rolled his eyes in despair because my brother hated school and he never went to school hardly a day in his life. He just dogged school, he hated it. And, but they were painting me with the same brush as my brother. And I was the polar opposite because I never missed school. I loved school. Um, and I remember having to work really hard to change their minds. It wasn't fair, but it was all right because I, I did it anyway in the end. Um, and so it was lovely for me um, after to, to prove them wrong um, and not be, not be thought of as less than. And my brother wasn't less than me. My brother just was different. <clears throat> but they, because he wasn't playing by their rules, saw him as less than he should be or could be, you know. Mm -hmm. Families, it's great by association, eh? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's funny. My, my, my brother went through uh, his entire schooling being called Wee Jimmy. You know, it was Jimmy. <laughs> There was Jimmy, and then there was Wee Jimmy. That was Colin. <laughs> Colin was Wee Jimmy. Was it? Colin was Wee Jimmy. Colin hated that. He and hated then you had a band called Jimmy Hay. I had a band called, I know, I know, I know. Hey I know. Jimmy. I have Hey Jimmy, exactly. I know, I know. Um, but, it, but, it, but it happens all the time, you know, and, and I, I used to feel for Robbie because, you know, when Robbie was doing some of his sound engineering degree, worked with Duffin and very, and Sandy and all that in the studio in Glasgow, and they they were like, "Oh, that scenes boy," <laughs> and and Robbie was raging about that. Robbie was like, "But I'm my own person, Dad, you know, and I've got my own thought." And I'm like, "I know, son, I know, I know, I know." Um, and Robbie would give me some pelters about that. He's like, "And I'm better than you. Are. I actually know what I'm doing." <laughs> it's like Martha gets on to me. She she says that, that people don't recognise her. The, the, unless I'm with her, you know, and they say, oh, that's who Martha is, you know, 
Oh, but I have the opposite problem, right? See, see when I first, see when we first came to Largs, right? I was a trainee GP in Largs, right? So everybody knew my wife because we just moved to Largs at the time. Um, we were really young. We'd just get married. And everybody was like, oh, uh, that's that's Dr. Jameson's wife, right? And see, within about six months, we've taken the kids to the school and what have you. I became, oh, that's Joanne's husband. <laughs> and it stayed that way ever since. <laughs> For 20 odd years we've been married. I have literally become, oh, that's Joe's husband. Even in my own practice. I'm not called Dr. Jameson, I'm called, oh, that's that, that's Nurse Joe's husband. Oh, that's Mammy Joe's husband. That's what the child, that, that's what the bad boys knows his ass. That's Mammy Joe's husband. He'll give me a phone. Oh, dear. Yeah. So what's the topic, Mr. Bogle? Well, we're continuing in this topic about... Um, you know, I've been looking at one of the things that, you know, going through the, the whole th month, you know, the, the week one, we were recapping on the life of Jacob. And we saw jealousy and rivalry between brothers ending up a lifetime of estrangement and deception. It's finally brought a resolution to Jacob wrestling with God. And so, you know, I was trying to hint back on that. I, I was throwing out a line for you all. I'm going to go there to just talk about <clears throat> how difficult when we talk about being reconciled to God, to being reconciled in families, how difficult it is sometimes. Uh, and we can make, how do we do it? How do we, how do we work through reconciliation when, when it's such a, a struggle and such a heart? I don't and somebody like, doesn't even want to be reconciled to be, us. Be, be, because at the end, do, do you know what? Because at the end of the day, it's, it, it's not rocket science. All you really need to do is believe the best in the person you're talking to. No matter what they've done and no matter what you, you think, you think you know they're going to do, just believe the best in them. Believe that although they've hurt you a thousand times in the past, see this time, this time's going to be different. Now, we don't do that because we think, oh, we're setting ourselves up to fail. We're setting ourselves up for hardship or hurt um, or disappointment once again. But if somebody doesn't take that position where they say, I believe the best in you and this time's going to be different um, and, and this time's a new time. Because the truth is, this time is a new time. Here's some of the signs. The sign says that what we remember isn't really what we remember. Mm -hmm. This time, if we do something differently, then something might change. The mistake that a lot of people make is they think that by doing the same thing and saying the same things the same way every time, that things are going to change. That's madness. Nothing will ever change if we do the same thing, the same time, the same way, over and over and over again, rinse and repeat. Too many people get into that cycle and too many times arguments follow that same that same cycle of rinse and repeat. You know, here we are again talking about the same thing in the same way and in you know, and, and using the So what you're saying, saying we need and, to do it in a different way. You need to do no, well, of course, you, of course you've got to, because this is a different time. This thing is a different thing. Do you know, it's like the arguments Mrs. J has with me, and there are many, um, but the arguments Mrs. J has with me, sometimes we find ourselves arguing about the same thing in the same way. But the times where our arguments move on to the next thing or to some kind of resolution, uh, no matter what subject it's about or where Joanne will do, because Joe's really clued up in this stuff, um, it's where Joanne will do something completely different. She'll say something in a completely different way or she'll talk about something completely different and we'll end up talking about something else and none of the buttons will be pushed. Because what we learn over the years is what buttons to push. You must have seen this in your congregations and in your own mm -hmm. lives and, mm -hmm. and, and in the relationships that surround mm -hmm. you. 
um, we know the buttons to push. You know, if we if we push that button, we're going to get that response because it's predictable. But when we're trying to resolve conflict, when we're trying to come to um, when we're trying to come to understanding, um, I believe that as Christians we've got this 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 almost superpower, the superpower of grace. But if grace is going to bring anything, it has to bring in that sense of it's it's got to be different. We've got to be different and we've got to let go of the things that we hold dear. Particularly in things like arguments, or he said, you know, uh, he said, she said, etc., or you know, I said, and then they said, and blah blah blah. You've kind of got to let go of all of that and just make it about, well, this is the thing that we're talking about so now. Is that, is that really what Jesus? That's is what, that what Jesus is saying when he says, "Forgive seventy times seven? Absolutely. You, you just it. don't stop. And, and don't stop for that's the thing don't stop forgiving never close the door never say this person is beyond redemption what a fundamental mistake to make no human being no matter how bad and i'm sure i'll get flack for this after the podcast but i don't mind i don't believe any human being is entirely beyond redemption i think somewhere the grace of god can step in um and somehow people can be changed, and I and and do you know what I don't I don't I think it's it's hurtful and destructive and awful if it's not until they're seventy nine years and three hundred and sixty days and twenty five minutes before they die, I think if at that point they understand themselves and those around them and and their their place in life. Um, and perhaps reach out for some kind of redemption. I'm quite sure that redemption is there to be taken. Mm -hmm. um, Ian, I agree 110% with everything you've said. But I think there's a stumbling block for many of us, and the stumbling block is our own heart and our own sense of, I'm not going to let them hurt me again. Shame me, hurt me once, shame on you, hurt me twice, shame on me. This, this whole attitude that's quite prevalent in our, our society. And I think that we have to be as followers of Jesus willing to be hurt and willing to embrace that hurt and willing to say, okay, God, um, I'll take the fall again for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of unity, for the sake of union. And I think that too many of us take our heart out of our inside pocket where we, we keep it close to our heart and nurture it take it out and polish it he didn't mm. me i'm never ever gonna forget him and put it back in again and then we feed it and we nurture it beyond all belief and then it's a big giant monster and then there's no hope or reconciliation uh -huh. I think it's, it's really i know i've experienced it myself but it's really really hard um because we we live in a state of fear as well as a state of grace and the fear of being hurt again can we ever manage you know I like what you're saying there, Linda. So you think that we need to also talk to ourselves and say, I know I'm going to be hurt, but I'm not going to I'm not going to run away from that hurt. Is that not what the model Jesus gave us? I know I'm going to the cross. I know, but I'm willing to be on that cross. But, 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 but Linda, here's another question. Can I just pick up on this? That doesn't mean to say that somebody who's been abused badly right. continues to take that abuse and says, oh, I, I, we've got to qualify these kind of conversations, haven't we, surely? No, no we absolutely do. No, yeah. no, and we can still forgive. We can still forgive, but you don't need to stay in that same place right. to be beaten up again and again right. and again. Or emotionally abused or verbally yeah. abused. Ab absolutely. I mean, you know, take that step of... of of forgiveness in your heart because if you don't you're always going to carry that pain and you're always going to allow allow that pain the the pain that's deep inside to keep on burning inside but that's not the same thing as being stupid and let yourself be hurt over and over again what i mean is physically or emotionally or in a really really bad situation um some situations require you as an act of love because do you know what 
a lot of situations occur, really toxic stuff happens, and it's because the people are in that situation. Do you know that what the loving thing to do, the loving thing to do is to say we're getting nowhere with this. Yeah. I'm removing myself. And that's the change. Maybe that's the change that you're talking about that then allows somebody to walk away, but later on to be able to forgive and say it's gone. No longer has a hold on me, but it's forgiven. Yeah, absolutely right. Do you know the most powerful thing I've heard for a long time was just recently on, I think it was Radio Radio 4, and they were reporting on the guy that had um, filmed himself killing Muslim people in, in mosques uh, in New Zealand. Mm. And it was the words of the woman that touched me. I was actually in tears in the car when I heard it. The words of, of, of one of the, I think it was the wife of one of the men that had died. And she said, I, I forgive you. She said, I forgive. I don't hold anything. And my, my religion tells me um, eh, that I have to forgive you. And, and I do feel forgiveness in my heart for you. And actually, of all of the things in that <coughs> that moved that man, that man that did the most terrible, terrible atrocities, uh, the, the words that moved him were those words of that woman saying, I forgive you. And there was a tear in his eyes when he heard those words. Because there is nothing more powerful than forgiveness. There is nothing more powerful than honest forgiveness. Um, there's nothing more powerful than you being, and, and you have to call on God. I mean, you have to call on God all the time, but particularly in these things, in these deeply painful things, calling God to give you the strength to say, Right, I forgive you, you know. I forgive I forgive all of it. But that is not the same thing as being in physical danger. You know, or in mental or emotional danger. Because not removing yourself, funnily enough, is the least loving thing you can do. The most loving thing you can do. Living look, I'll tell you what, living with an alcoholic, there's a thing living with an alcoholic, sometimes the least loving thing you can do is to stay with them. Yeah. Because yeah. all you're doing is you're giving tacit enablement. Yes, and sometimes you're, you're moving. By any manner means all the time. Because yeah. so I'm, I'm going to get flack for this. Um, but, but so what? Do you know what? I get flack all the time. It's just one of these things. But at the end of the day, though, sometimes... I'm sorry to, to, to bang on about this, but the, the, but the, the relationship, for example, with an alcoholic or somebody who is in the grip of drug addiction, um, you know, you, sometimes you staying around is not the thing to do. That's not the most loving thing you can do is to love from afar. Until that person fights those demons, and I would also qualify what I've just said by saying, the, and I've said it before in this many times, the real heroes in my life are the people that have fought their own demons and won. These are real heroes to me. They always will be. That's why I do what I do. I mean, that, I think you were, I think that, that, that peace leaving grace that um, uh, I'm just thinking of that part that, that leaving grace that John Povey talked about last year, last week is about leaving space for grace to happen in our lives and grace for it happened to in someone else's life. Sometimes if, when we remove ourselves, it's like leaving a space for the grace to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's where the strength of, of, of the dry stone wall is. The spaces in between the stones that so that the wind can blow through it and keep mm -hmm. the wall up. Yeah, so we need to leave the space, definitely. Yeah. That that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. The strength of the dry stain wall comes from the spaces in between that. It's amazing. Yeah. Well I'm nicking oh, one line. That'll preach. Nick for the next time they ask me to do a sanctuary first. <laughs> I've already used it in sanctuary first. <laughs> oh, you have as well on them. <laughs> oh, you can always call back. You can always say, you can always quote Linda, as Linda said. All right. Julie, Julie will see I've got negative reviews for plagiarism for that one. <laughs> McDonald's say, but they have to 
advertise a new product about 13 times before people realize that there's a new product. And it's the same with us. I mean, we have to preach the gospel. It's the same gospel. Yeah. Nothing's changed over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Julie, Julie, can I ask you a question just as a, out of interest? How did you enjoy, did you enjoy writing the stuff? Did it, did it impact you in any way yourself in getting involved in writing these prayers and reflections this week? It makes you think about things more deeply when you're having to think about what you want to say about them. And to be honest, quite, quite a few of them, it was sort of a, a three o'clock in the morning, waking up, you know, and something just sort of went. But it does actually make you, you, you read the, the pieces and see what comes to you from them. Because sometimes you, you know some of them so incredibly well, you've heard them preach time and time again, that it would be easy just to sort of go into a groove sort of thing. Um, but no, I found it interesting from that perspective. And to do a wee bit wider reading round about them as well, to get a sense of what was round about as well as just in the particular passages. Yeah, so I yeah it was interesting it was, from that. I thought it was quite refreshing just how you managed to do that, to just get little different spins to take stuff in another way, to take, a, a, you know, an idea and then just use it as a ju jumping off point to illustrate something. Uh, I'll leave the theology to the ministers. <laughs> I, I just can't pick what came to me. Dear Lord, we need, ministers have too much baggage with theology. We need to let it go and listen to the voice of one who hasn't had the so-called education or the formal education, but has had the experience of life and walking with God in life and the reality of God coming to them in life as opposed to through a textbook. Absolutely, Linda. I think that is so right. And that's why I think in Sanctuary First, we need that blend of different people from, from you know, um, people who have got a theological training to people who haven't, but people yeah. who are walking with God and, and people at the beginning of their journey and people, you know, I remember when we got Robbie to do prayers and, 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 and scripture reading, Ian, a few years back, and it was really, really good. He was just a young boy, maybe at that time, maybe about 18 or something like that. Right. <clears throat> I, I, I was just thinking, Albert, um, and, and reflecting back and thinking back on, um, you know, what we've been talking about. And, and I was thinking about, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Albert, but I was thinking about that prayer for grace into the situations that we find impossible um, because, you know, I, I I was so thankful to what Julie wrote this week that it really, I have to say it genuinely did help me. It genuinely was stuff that I didn't really have a solution for in a sense. I mean, it kind of did, but, but not but not really in any meaningful sense. And, and a lot of it relied on things that I simply had no control over. Um, you know, things are kind of still there to an extent, but but they're better, they're much better, and it was much better after that. And I just wonder about that prayer for grace into the impossible situations, or situations rather that seem impossible to us. Um, I wonder, Albert, is there a, you know, what, what would you say is the prayer for, for grace to come into these situations because there, there may well be people listening tonight that you know that they're thinking about situations and they're thinking you know it's all very well for you to say all that psychobabbling but you know you don't have x y and z going on or you're not involved in this situation or that situation um i just wondered if there might be something to say about that albert but that's more your end of things than well that. i don't know i i've often said to people <clears throat> Sometimes you've got to hand say, "I'm Lord, I want to be able to forgive this person," but I, that's what that prayer is: "Forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us." But it, as we forgive, and as we, so it is. It, forgiveness is a sometimes a process. It takes a while for it to work through in someone. But even the very fact that someone is asking that question to you or me tonight. You know, it's all right for you, Albert, but it's so hard for me to forgive. You're at least thinking about it. And it, as you begin to think about these things, the Spirit of God begins to work in our lives to turn us around. And I, and I think it's that as we journey with God and as we, we journey with, with Jesus, you know, he, and ask Jesus to help you. 
it says we ask the Lord, Lord, show me how to cope with this. Give me the strength to at least in my mind <clears throat> begin the process to say that I will, I will forgive. I will, I will get round to forgiving and letting that happen. It's like some people say to me, uh, starting off, uh, you know, about tithing, about wanting to give a tithe. When they become a Christian, they start saying, but I can't afford to do that. I used to say to people, well, work at it. <laughs> you know, get, be a wee bit generous more this week, give a wee bit more this month, and then work at that, and then clear off the debts and the things you've got to do, and then give a wee bit more, and get yourself to that place where it's happening. And I think it's like working that through in your mind with the Holy Spirit and allowing God, allowing yourself to be willing to say, I will forgive, rather than saying, I'm never going to forgive you. That's it. You're, I, that's, that's, that's a, I'm trying to be practical in just a practical way to get people started. Mm -hmm. I think, have you read the book, The Shack? Yes. The, I, I've just finished reading it for the sixth time. The first time I read, I read it, I thought... Well, the first time I read it, I thought, that's just cheap American saccharine Christianity. My head was in some space to think that because it's one of the finest theological books in a story form about the Holy Trinity. And there's a scene where the, the, the main character has to forgive somebody. And he's walking to the, the place where he knows an incident happened. I'm not going to spoil the book for I know that, you. I want everybody to read it, to read it slowly thoughtfully prayerfully and carefully and he's, he's walking towards this this destination and he, he says over and over and he said i forgive him 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 and that's it's like muscle memory you just have to keep saying it over and over and over again fake it till you make it because experience tells me the more and more i do something the better and better i get at it and it's the same with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You have to have the intention. You, you have to, or else it's going to consume you and eat you and spit you out. And mm -hmm. you're going to be the one who loses in the long run. So fake it till you make it. Put the intention into your mind because it's in the mind where it starts. Everything starts in the mind. And then just say it. And one day it will be your truth. See, this is... This is where we are again in our podcast. We have come to the center of what Christianity is all about. You know, and I remember sitting as a moderator many years ago in, in a palace beside a very important dignitary. And he said to me, moderator, what is the message, the key message of Christianity? And I remember looking at this man and looking around and I said, forgiveness. And he looked at me and he said, I said, and I said, everybody needs to encounter forgiveness. And I said, look around this table. He says, there's not one person here that doesn't need to be forgiven for something. And I said, you need to be forgiven. Mm. And see the depth of the conversations you can have with people when you bring up that word forgiveness, because mm -hmm. it is the very crux mm -hmm. of everything. And that's why Jesus talks about that in the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness. And it, it, it's at the heart. Me and we wrote a song about that. Forgiveness, forgiveness. You know, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's on the Turn album, if you want to listen to it. Because it but it was born out of a lot of, you know, of our own experiences. But, but, you know, all the hidden secrets buried in our heart. If you really knew me, you'd tear me apart. Would you really love me if I took the blame? I'm walking on eggshells trying to speak your name. There was something special about our love, how the years have twisted and abused love, but I'm ready to begin. Do you think that we can start again? Feel the spirit breaking in. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness is the way. That's right. Don't you leave it till there's nothing left. Yeah. Don't you turn your face away? Yeah. Forgiveness, forgiveness, and that's the heart of it all tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there, there are things that will happen that will rock your world that you think 
the world cannot be the same after this thing that's happened in your life mm-hmm. uh, or these things that keep happening in your life you might think how ca- how can i get past this how can i get past this but it starts with the thought that you can mm-hmm. and the knowledge by the way you're a human being you're capable of great change and you always have been since the day you were conceived capable of great change so forgiveness is an option listen i'm going to finish tonight it's now a a five past ten can we finish with a prayer yes let's do that okay father we thank you for julie's contributions this week because they have woven a way for us to talk about the spirit of forgiveness. Father, we pray today, this evening, that you would send your Holy Spirit now to be with us, to help us forgive those who have hurt us. And for those we have hurt, to have the ability to forgive us. And as we pray now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take everything that's been spoken of in this podcast and use it for your glory and use it for reconciliation. And that people, more and more people might be reconciled through your grace. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for sharing so much with us this this week julie thank you for your prayers and your reflections thank you ian for sharing and to you also linda for being with us and and ray for your contribution tonight because we've got the we've got the saxophone man in the studio finally (laughs) thanks ray okay i thought you'd fallen asleep well i've been listening Okay. For anchor. <laughs> so good night and God bless and to next week. Absolutely. Good night. Good night.